It's interesting because last time we spoke, you said something that stuck with me, which was it takes 90 hours for a friendship to actually form. And for me, I'm just putting in the first hour with 10,000 different people and opening the door to have the other 89 hours come to life. Welcome to Big Questions. This is Cal Fussman. And this episode reminds me of one of my favorite quotes. It comes from John Steinbeck, the author of The Grapes of Wrath. It goes like this. People don't take trips. Trips take people. Ever since I was on Tim Ferriss' podcast and told stories of my travels around the world when I was a young man, people have reached out to me and asked, How'd you do it? You didn't have much money, and you traveled around the world? By meeting strangers on trains and buses and get invited to stay in their homes and having them pass you from dinner table to dinner table for years? How'd you do it? I'm coming to see why it's so hard for young people to fathom. The world they live in is so much different. People they might encounter along the way may have earbuds in their ears. People they bump into may be staring intently at their phones. Barriers have been created that stop basic conversations. And let's face it, the less people start these conversations, the less comfortable they'll feel like trying. Back in the day, there were no cell phones. There was no internet. I could get into a conversation with almost anyone I met and see where it led. Sometimes it created an invitation for a meal or to stay over. Next thing you know, friends and family were called and a party started. Calvino! And I had a lot of new friends. The more curious I became about the differences in these two very different time periods, the more fascinated I've become. I've come to see that young people are now inventing new ways to do what I did back in the 80s, and I was introduced to one of them guy named Rob Lawless. You'll be hearing my conversation with Rob in a moment. Now, on the surface, Rob and I may seem very different, but the more we get to know each other, the more I see how the same patterns that set my trip in motion, the very same patterns that helped guide it forward, are the wind behind Rob's journey. Quick background on Rob. Maybe you don't need it, because you've already heard of him. On Instagram, he's known as at Rob's 10K Friends. That's because he set out to meet 10,000 people a few years back after he was laid off from his job. Why 10,000 people? And why each for an hour? The number came from Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000-hour principle. You need to put in 10,000 hours of deliberate practice in order to master a field. Rob's mission was to master this art of human connection and understand as much as he could about the world. So he started out in Philadelphia organizing meetings with people. He's crossed the country a few times now, and at this point, he's met with more than 2,000 people. I spent an hour with him a few months back and became number 1,800 and something on his list. After Rob meets somebody for an hour, he takes a picture with them, then types up what he found interesting about the person and posts it on Instagram. This has set in motion a chain reaction of people who want to meet him. It's also led him to do random acts of kindness that have caught the attention of thousands of people and raised thousands of dollars. And that 
has enabled him to connect with companies who want to be associated with his journey and help push it forward. The more people who reach out to him, the more people who hear about him. Not long ago, Rob did an interview with the radio and television host Ryan Seacrest, and now people in Ryan's massive audience are following Rob. Rob's thinking that if he keeps at his current rate, he'll be able to complete his mission in about 10 years when he's 37 years old. That's commitment. He's probably going to be a very wise man at that point from listening to so many life stories. Rob's thinking about taking his journey to Europe, and I look forward to seeing where it's going to take him. By the end of this episode, I find myself asking Rob for advice on how I might go on a new kind of journey around the world through the internet. We're going to see where this all leads because there's a lot of glasses I need to click, especially if it's the one holding in your hand. Right now, let's get to Rob Lawless. Because so many people, young people, come to me and say, how'd you do it? How did you go around the world for 10 years without a home? And I did it in a day without earbuds. Right. So I could get on a bus and sit down in an empty seat next to somebody and start a conversation. I don't know if I could do that now. If somebody's got their earbuds in, they're listening to music, they may not want me to break through. And so you've got a whole different way of traveling where you're connecting with people before the fact so that they're waiting for you with curiosity, the same curiosity I was trying to foster. Right. And I feel like we're doing the same thing, mm-hmm. but in very different ways. Yeah. You know, what's crazy is as you say it, what, ha- what made it harder for the way that you did it made it easier for the way that I'm doing it. So that technology that is now distracting people from the way that you connected with them <clears throat> is the reason that I'm able to connect with them. All right. Let's take this back to the start. Okay. And then you're going to say where you're from. Sure. And then I'm going to talk about where I'm from. Because there's some similarities here. So go ahead. Sure. So I'm from Narstown, Pennsylvania, which is 40 minutes outside Philadelphia. So it's a nice suburban town. Yep. Grew up on a half acre front yard that was good for sledding, a backyard that had an in-ground pool, and a driveway with a basketball net. So what I would consider the stereotypical suburban American experience. Dad went to work every day, same company? Yep. Dad worked for Verizon. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. I'm the youngest of three siblings. So after I was in grade school, she went back and started working in the cafeteria of a local elementary school. She just retired this year. So yeah, very much traditional life path. Okay. So now let's look at mine. Okay. Grew up, suburban neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Dad worked for IBM for, I think, 29 years. Got on the same train, same time, every day. Came home, Mm -hmm. same train, same time, every day. Mom was a stay-at-home mom, Mm -hmm. just like yours, until 
my brother and I reach like a junior high school age. And then she went off and started working. Sounds like your mom. Yeah. Uh, and then you go to college. Right. Where do you go to college? I went to Penn State and graduated in 2013 with a degree in finance. And I minored in accounting and entrepreneurship. And while I was a student there, I was involved in a lot of different clubs and activities. So even though it was a campus of 40,000 students, it became very small to me. And I was running into these people that I knew from class or a club all the time. I was one of those people that my friends hated walking around campus with because they had to stop too much for me to say hi to people. You were the mayor. Right. You were the mayor of Penn State. Essentially, yes. And you were in fraternity, so you had a lot of brothers. Mm -hmm. It sounds like a great time. Yeah, it was awesome. All right. Same for me, college, University of Missouri, uh, right in the heartland, I-70. And I went to journalism school. Here's a similarity I noticed. You're the mayor of Penn State. I was a newspaper writer in college, like a columnist. Right. And I always thought that being a newspaper columnist, this is back in the 70s. Okay. Was either the equivalent of being the mayor or better than being the mayor because you didn't have the mayor's problems, but you got treated like the mayor. Mm -hmm. You were always in the middle of things and you went into the restaurant or the bar at the end of the day you had access to places that other people didn't they want to know what was going on and so i felt like the mayor right and i'm trying to think now how my first job might overlap with yours it sounds sounds very different sure i was going out and writing stories at the miami herald and then covering the baseball team for a little while in St. Louis, the Cardinals, and I loved it. But it sounds to me like something happened that made us both feel pinched in. Sure. What was that for you? I think I've always had a desire to be an entrepreneur, which is why I minored in it at Penn State. I think it was just the experience of being in the corporate structure. I was working 12-hour days and I didn't eat lunch until my manager ate lunch. I didn't leave the office until my manager left the office. And for me, when I was looking at the career path at Deloitte, it was a promising and secure one, but you did two years as an analyst, one as a consultant, got your MBA full-time for two years, came back for two years so they would pay it off, and then you do senior consultant, manager, senior manager, partner or whatever. And to me, that just wasn't exciting because I felt like I had seen the end of the movie. So I saw no point in watching it. Another interesting comparison. I can remember my first job at the Miami Herald getting assignments. It was in the Palm Beach Bureau. So it was a small place okay. where they develop writers to move up to Miami, kind of farm system. And what would happen is you would come in in, say, June after you graduated, and you would start receiving assignments. And what I noticed when the year passed and the next June had arrived, it was the same assignment, mm. 
as I got the year before. Sure. Now, I could go out and find my own stories and write about them, but I had that same feeling like, I've already done this. Mm-hmm. And does this mean we just keep playing the same music over and over again? Right. And at that point, I took a job in St. Louis working for the Post Dispatch. But I realized it was the same cycle there, even when I was covering a major league baseball team part of the time. Right. And I think that was one of the reasons that sort of set me off to New York to go into magazines because that was completely wide open. I didn't know what was going to happen, where it was going to go. Right. How about for you? So I, when I left Deloitte to go to the tech startup, saw that as a new opportunity and I actually enjoyed working for that company, but still wanting to do something of my own. In November of 2015, I started this project to spend one hour with 10,000 different people just to see what comes of opening doors for no particular reason. Now there's, we should backtrack and I, I know a little about you. But sure. Because something happened that was crucial. You saw a show called The Berry Life uh, and a oh, pal yeah. of mine was in the show, Ben, ben Nempton. Oh yeah. <clears throat> and so why don't you talk a little bit, bit about the show and what it meant to you? Yeah, so I actually watched The Buried Life in college. I can remember watching episodes of their show in my freshman year dorm room at Penn State. And I think that instilled in me kind of a sense of adventure. So this is four guys in Canada that some were depressed, some were having a rough time, and they basically just decided to live out their bucket list. Right. And then while they were doing it, thought, hey, why don't we help other people get to their bucket list? And some amazing adventures came out of it. They ended up playing basketball with Obama in the White House. Mm -hmm. They ended up crashing a Playboy party, Mm -hmm. uh, dressed up as Oompa Loompas, coming out of a a cake. Birthday cake, yeah. Yeah, birthday cake. Uh, They figured out a way to get a girl in high school an arm. Oh, yeah. Remember, remember that? Mm-hmm. Uh, she didn't have an arm and they got... Prosthetic. Yeah, but it was like a real arm. Gotcha. And boy, you see the footage of that, of her being able to like tie her shoes right. for the first time. It's so moving. Right. So I could see watching that show how it would impact you. Right. Yeah, and I think just seeing their work kind of showed me that it was possible that you could go on an adventure and make it work for you. And they actually came and spoke to Penn State either when I was a junior or senior and they had a little meet and greet at the end. I was a tour guide at the time. And I remember offering to show them around campus, but of course they didn't take me up on it because I was just one person in a line of people waiting to meet them. But yeah, they were people that I wanted to structure my life after in a way. And they showed me, yeah, that it was possible. Now you've left your first job, which basically put you on a path to having what your parents had and more. Right. You would have been comfortable for the rest of your life. Right. You take another job, startup. 
Yes. And you like that job. Mm-hmm. What happens? So in July of 2016, that company was bought out by a larger company. And so I was laid off at the end of June of 2016. But fortunately, I had started my project in November of 2015. And in the eight months from November of 2015 to end of June 2016, I'd met 100 people for my project, learned that it was something that I really enjoyed and was really passionate about, and got to the point where the May, like the month or two leading up to me being laid off, I had been covered by five different press sources in Philly, all small ones, but at the time that was the first press that I had ever received. So it felt really big to me. And that gave me the confidence when I was laid off to take my project full time. What I said at the time was for two to three months to see how it would work. And then those two to three months have now turned into over two years. Why 10,000 people? Why meet 10,000 people for an hour? I think because 10,000 is a number that's high enough where it requires a ton of determination and it's big enough where it turns heads. So initially, if we rewind to the very first time I thought about it, I thought I was still at Deloitte and I thought I'd meet 10,000 people for 10 minutes at a time in one year. And I knew if I did that, that it would get press coverage of some sort. Me being a naive 22 or 23 year old, I thought somehow I was going to ride that way for the rest of my career. But I realized that meeting people for 10 minutes at a time was baseless. It didn't have much value. Shallow. Yeah. And so I just didn't do anything with that idea. And then over the next couple of years, I learned a little bit more about what's really important. And instead of wanting to become an overnight success, I wanted to structure my life to do something that took a long period of time, but that I enjoyed every step along the way. And having done 30 minute sales calls with people in my sales job at the tech company, I knew that in 30 minutes, you could discuss the weather, you could discuss the roles at the company and a little bit of business and hang up the phone and that was it. So I wanted to give me and the person I was meeting with time to get to know each other, to dive beneath the surface. And I always thought an hour is enough time where you can run out of topics to talk about And in that awkwardness, you're forced to find a new topic that's likely below the surface. Can you recall the first few interviews or do you look at them as interviews or conversations? I've never seen it as interviews. It's always conversations because I think when if someone sees my project and they think of it as an interview, they think I'm coming to them with a list of questions. And it's kind of like I ask, they answer. But For me, the whole project, the value of it was just getting to know each other. So I want them to know me as well as I know them. And so I've just seen it as a conversation. Like I go into it with the same mindset as I would go into a Friday night at the bar with my friend looking to catch up. We just haven't met yet. But I do the the first person uh, was a guy named Jim Brady who runs a publication in Philly called BillyPen.com. And... Their publication has a list, a who's next list. So it's who's next in the culinary scene, who's next in the art scene, the political scene, the music scene, etc. And I knew that would be a good list of people to pull from because it gave me the ability to diversify just the backgrounds and industries of the people that I was meeting. 
And so I'm, you were doing what a journalist does in a way. Right. But I ended up reaching out to Jim, explaining my project to him. And he sat down with me. We got lunch in Philly. And at the time he asked me, he was like, what am I, the 1,000th or 2,000th person that you've met with? And I was like, no, you're number one. <laughs> you're the very first one. <laughs> so that was just an interesting thing. But he, from there, I Googled Philadelphia artists because I just was interested in art. So you're finding out about the place where you lived. Oh, yeah. And I, I got to know Philly very well. Yeah. Yeah. But it was just people that I was interested in or street artists on Instagram or photographers. And I thought those would be cool people to talk to about what they're doing with their lives. And after eight people, I started an Instagram account. I had always planned to document it on Instagram, but I wanted to make sure I was committed to it. So after eight people started this Instagram account, posted the pictures of the people that I'd met with and what I remembered of their stories. And then it kind of grew from there. Was it addictive? I think so. I think it still is. Uh, I like it for multiple reasons. So for me to sit with someone, I always tell people is the highest form of entertainment that I can give to myself. I find meeting with a new person more entertaining than watching an episode of TV or a movie or something like that. Just because I'm hearing their story and it could take so many twists and turns and it's real and it goes so deep. And aside from that, I feel like I'm growing as a person because just as a byproduct, my network is growing in all different directions. And I also see this goal of 10,000 and by doing it every day, it's like I'm getting one number closer to this goal. And that progress, just seeing that satisfies me. By the way, the travel started for me in very similar circumstances where I'd gone to New York I was working for this amazing startup magazine called Inside Sports. Yes. The guy who created SportsCenter for ESPN, Johnny Walsh, he was the editor. Hmm. And he was, had been uh, in charge of Rolling Stone magazine back in its heyday, was friends with the gonzo journalist Hunter S. Thompson. So oh, wow. I'd go to the bar after work and there'd be Hunter S. Thompson. Wow. He'd sit down next to me, throwing back shots. And you got Pulitzer Prize winners coming in the door. I was 22 years old. That's wild. 23. Yeah. And it was the ultimate because every day was an event. It was not a job, mm -hmm. even though you were working. And then sadly, it went belly up. And there I was, like, you got laid off. This whole magazine went down. And there I was wondering, all right, what am I going to do now? Right. And that was what led me on a path out to see the world because I thought, well, I'll give myself a little time to travel and figure out what I want to do next. But once I started, I, I became addicted. Very different from you in a way. Sure. I would wake up and I'd have no idea who I was going to meet, where it was going to take me, mm -hmm. where I was sleeping that night. That was amazing because your curiosity is just on fire. Right. Uh, you have a little different system. You're very regimented in what you're doing and everything is pretty well organized and planned. Yeah, 
I always describe it as it's like routine spontaneity. So I know out here in Los Angeles, my goal is to meet four new people every day during the work week from at noon, 2 p.m., 4 p.m., and 6 p.m. And I always have that, like I'm scheduled out a week before. So I always know who I'm meeting and where I'm meeting them. And I wake up in the morning and I look at my Google Calendar and that's where I know where to go. Uh, It's spontaneous for me in that I just communicate with these people through Instagram. So I guess I should back up. People will send me messages now through Instagram to meet because they found my project through a piece of press or more oftentimes through one of their friends who had met with me. And so I have a constant influx of messages on Instagram that is sustaining the people that I'm going out and meeting. Yeah, see that for me, no, you know what? There is a similarity. It's, It's a little different. Yours is exponential, but for me, quite often, I would be meet somebody on a train or a bus and they would invite me home and then a party would start. Yeah. And then at the party, a whole group of people would come in and I was exotic. You know, if you're behind the what was then the Iron Curtain, those people didn't see many Americans. Mm-hmm. And so they were very proud of where they were living and they wanted to show me the place that they were living. They wanted me to taste their foods. They wanted me to laugh with them. They wanted to teach me their language. And so they began to pass me around. It's just that with the internet, you get that exponentially because one person that you talk to may have 8,000 Instagram followers. Right. And so they blast this out Right. Now 8,000 people know you as right. opposed to the 18 people who could fit into a kitchen. Yeah. And it's crazy and that has happened in the biggest I guess exposure that I've had to date was from the guys from Yes Theory and they had just recorded probably a 5-second clip of me talking to one of their friends, posted it to their Instagram account on their story which at the time I think had about 450,000 followers. And over that next 24 hour period, I got 400 messages from people all across the world. So I love those guys in Yes Theory. Yeah. They did, uh, they did something with Will Smith. Yeah, they just jumped out of a, a helicopter. Bungie jumped right. out of a helicopter. Yeah, for his birthday. Yeah. Wild, it's crazy. Being with them and then reaching all of their network. Right. Getting invited to go on Ryan Seacrest's show. Right. And now all of his listeners right. are aware of you. you. You have multiplied what I was doing when I was traveling by the thousand. Mm-hmm. I wonder how that affects the trip uh, because... By having everything so planned, you have the spontaneity because you don't know what's going to happen. You mm-hmm. don't know where the conversation's going to go. Right. Uh, but you kind of know where you're sleeping at night. Right. Where uh, quite often I, I had no idea. I would just show up in a place, start meeting people. And it's funny. I saw 
a Yes Theory video where uh, one of the guys was like dropped in a city. Right. And he had to find a place to sleep that night. And like he was like in, in a panic. And he was going up to like all the wrong people at first. Like he's going up to tourists. Right. And I'm watching this saying, you don't do it like that. What are you nuts? Uh-huh. But eventually he found uh, some girls that uh, took him in. I think he ended up like sleeping on out on their porch. Yeah. And so he made it work. But like, for him, it was a one day ordeal. I was doing that over and over and over again. And that was part of the great curiosity of, of it. Mm-hmm. For you, you have such a structure. You know, I'm going to get up. What time do you get up? Um, out here, I've been getting up at 6.45. And then you do your, your workout? Yeah, go to the gym and then come back. And by 9 a.m., I'm messaging people to set up times to meet for the next week. And then at 10.45, I'm out the door to get to my first meeting at noon. I live in Long Beach, LA traffic. And yeah, I meet people from noon to one, from one to two. Right? What about lunch? I eat lunch in my car. I pack my lunch uh, from 9 a.m. to 10.45 a.m. I make breakfast. I make my lunch. It's peanut butter and jelly. Every day. Every day. It's trustworthy. Uh, <laughs> and I just... I don't know. I see food as fuel. And so I just pack my lunch. I bring it in a little cooler. I put it in my car. And now I've gotten my system down to where I meet the first person from noon to one. From one to two, I write, post their story, drive to the next spot, eat my peanut butter and jelly sandwich, meet someone at two. You eat alone. Yeah, in my car. See, that's crazy to me because... So many of my adventures revolved around food and meeting people over food. Mm-hmm. But that's something that you've pushed aside because of your orderliness. I mean, you, you couldn't do that the same way because, you know, once the wine bottles come out, mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to cut off the meal right. and say, no, 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 no more wine. You're on, this is work for you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's work and play at the same time. Because the way I see it is, I do have to leave after that hour. But like I said, it's just the foundation and that opens the door to have meals with people after the fact or to be at parties with people after the fact. And so my work schedule, if you will, is the same as anyone else's work schedule. And my nights and weekends are still open to do whatever as anyone else would. How do you support yourself while you're doing this? For a long time, it was my savings from my first three years of working. So I I just was fortunate. I lived with my parents for the first two years out of school. I had a well-paying job. I had student loans, but I was able to pay them off. And I worked at a financial firm in high school, so I just had saving built into me. And I was saving probably $2,000 a month for the first three years out of school. And when I took this full time, the, the whole goal was make this work before I run out of my life savings entirely. 
And what did your parents he, say about this? I think they thought I was crazy, and they may still, but <laughs> things are starting to click. And I think we live in an age where if you're doing something that's interesting enough to an audience and they want to follow along with it, then you can start to partner with brands that have the same values as you. For example, I partnered last month with a networking app called Shaper, and their whole goal is to have people meet each other. And you like swipe on people based on their interests and based on their jobs and what they're looking for. This is called Shaper? Yeah. S-H-A-P-E-R? S-H-A-P-R. Ah, okay. It yeah. has to be cool. Yeah, exactly. Can't, uh, old school, it ain't cool. Right. So I, I came across an Instagram ad that they had put out, and I, I messaged their head of partnerships and explained to him what I was doing. And I was like, you have the technology to connect people with each other, but the culture just doesn't exist yet of people wanting to randomly go out and meet with someone. And through my project, in a very small way, I feel like I'm helping create that. And so the people who follow my project are interested in other people's stories. And I just wanted to use their app to meet people and then encourage other people to hop on it. So last month I met 19 people using their app. And that for me is just a way of continuing to do my project with something that fits really well into what I want to do. Do you find that people your age have a tough time meeting new people? I think everyone has a tough time meeting new people. Everyone post high school or post college, uh, what, after you're done your education, that community that is presented to you just falls out from under you. And so a lot of people go into their jobs and those are the people that they know, or they may join a recreational sports league. But what I've learned is that a lot of people operate with the mindset that, well, we're out of college now, so everyone has their friend group set. And I think everyone is walking around with that mindset, but in reality, everyone deep down wants to make new connections. They just don't know how. Well, if these apps like Shaper are being formed, there's obviously a reason and a need. Right. Now, is this just like Tinder? You just swipe left, swipe right, and find what you're looking for and then message somebody? Kind of, yeah. Like you put down your interest. I think for me, it was music art or whatever, just things that I was interested in. And then they serve you up 15 people every day and you swipe on them if you're interested in meeting or not. And for me, when I was using the app, I was like swiping on everyone because I- Everybody's interested. Everyone's interesting. Everybody's a possibility. Yeah, right. see, if I had this when I was traveling, right, I might never have stopped. Well, obviously I fell in love and that ended the trip. Mm -hmm. But the idea of- being able to just go to an app, look at people. I, like I had to do this in real time. I had to do this as I was walking around the city. And sometimes people would be responsive to it. Other times people might put their head back. Who is this guy? Mm -hmm. But I guess the app gives you an opening since you obviously volunteered for the app. You know the other person volunteered for the app. Right. So you already have an overlap. Yeah. There's a trust built into that. We both like this app. Right. Are people more hesitant to dive in if they have no previous internet exposure to you? 
Um, that's a great question. I don't know. I think maybe back in the day when I first started, because at that time, look at you back in the day yeah. when I first. What are you on? Twenty one hundred. Yeah, I'm just about to cross twenty one fifty. Okay, so that's what for a day, and not even two years into it. Almost three. Almost three. Okay, because in the beginning you weren't doing four a day. Right. right. November of 2015. So this November will be three years. But yeah, in the beginning I had nothing to show for it, and had no credibility. So, and even now I'm just kind of fielding messages and going whatever direction the project is taking me. But in the beginning I had a couple people who were like, "Sounds cool," but I'm not interested. And you know what? It's Always been widely accepted since the beginning. I think because there's no catch to it. It's not like I want to meet you so that I can then like go around and sell you something. Yeah, you have no agenda. Right. My whole agenda is to get to know you, and then what the product of it is. I'm just telling other people about what you were like. And what have you learned through this process through three years meeting more than two thousand people? The biggest thing is that no one has any idea what they're doing in life, and well, there you go. <laughs> right, I, th I think well, you, that means much more now than if you would have said that to me back in 1984. How so? Because back then there's no iPhones, no mm. mobile devices, right? Uh, no Instagram. True. No Facebook where people are only putting up their best face. That's so true. And there was more vulnerability then, I think. Mm -hmm. And maybe there is great vulnerability now, but it's all covered over. Right. And mm -hmm. so people are just accustomed to looking at the best faces on Facebook. Right. Everybody's just putting out their best self. And it ain't like that 24 hours a day. Right. And that's, for me, it's been awesome because I get the candid side of everyone. Because we're sitting down, it's not being recorded. I'll write something after the fact, but I don't have something there to record it. It's not being filmed. It's just two people spending time together. And that must make it easier for them to know it's not being recorded, even though it's going into your head. Because I noticed many times I, when I was in a foreign country, small town, mm -hmm people would sit with me one-on-one -on -one, and even if the language didn't match, they would reveal deep things to me because in a small town, you really can't do that. Right. You'd be revealing things you don't want your neighbors to know. Right. And so they could tell this foreigner who came in, was interested, and then he was gone. And there was, he couldn't put it out on the internet. Right. Nobody was gonna know. So it felt comfortable to them. Yeah, you're the perfect stranger. And I feel that way a lot of times and I've had people sit and reveal deep in parts of their life to me. And- Has anybody cried? Last night. And I also cried during the meeting. It was a girl, she's 32 years old. And she lost her brother last year on October 28th. He was hit by a drunk driver. And when she was nine years old, 
her dad was killed by a drunk driver. What? Yeah. So, and they're from Brazil, and so she moved here in 2008. Her brother moved here in 2015, and... The two of them were roommates living together. And you could tell just from talking to her how deep of a relationship that they had. And that hit me really hard because like, I'm 27, my brother is 29, and my sister's 33. So I saw a lot of what she was sharing with me about her and her brother in my relationship with my siblings. And even to a level deeper, I'm about to go move in with my sister to live with her in November and December. So. The whole roommate thing, it just got to me. And yeah, I would say she spent a good 30 minutes of the hour crying, but her whole purpose and I guess wanting to meet with me was kind of to keep his memory alive. And usually I'm talking to people about their stories, like where you work, why did you study what you studied in school? And for her, it was just the chance to keep her brother's name alive and have that be heard by other people. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, like you can never count on anything like that. You can't right. predict it. Right. And that, things like that would happen to me all the time. Wow. It's, I remember being in Egypt and uh, I was traveling around with a girl from the Netherlands and she had run into an Egyptian woman who had a big problem. The Egyptian woman was about to get married in that culture at that time, I'd be interested to know how much they still do it. Well, after the marriage vows were done, they would consummate the wedding and the parents would go out with the bloody sheet Hmm. uh, to show everybody uh, as a sign of her virginity and that the marriage was now gonna move forward. And this Egyptian woman had been raped Hmm. uh, by a relative and had not told anybody. Right. And there were some harsh penalties if the sheet comes out and there's no blood on it. Wow. And so the woman didn't know what to do. And they, over time, had dealt with with this issue by taking the entrails of like a lamb or an animal and inserting them so that there would be some kind of blood on the sheet and that would enable them to get through the situation. But I, I can recall the woman from the Netherlands wondering like, how can I help this woman? And sitting there at night listening to this story in in a way it's the same it's the same thing you've got somebody uh, with either a problem or a feeling and they just they got to get it out Mm -hmm. and somebody from a distance is the best person that they can tell it to Mm -hmm. having those moments every day was what kept my journey going, who am I gonna run into today? Am I gonna fall in love today? You just didn't know who you're gonna meet. Right. And I think you have, it sounds like you have the same thing, only it's, it's planned. Yeah. It also sounds like 
you can look over all your opportunities and say, oh, this sounds interesting. I'll, I'll go meet you. Hmm. Because you can only meet four a day. Right. Yeah. I, for now, I really just take in like first come, first serve in a way where I don't, I mean, I have the ability to look at people's Instagrams to get a feel for who they are, but I feel like I'm moving at a fast enough pace where I don't really take the time to look at that. And just by conversing back and forth with people, I feel like I get a, a sense of their, their personality, but you're right. I do have that, that option. And sometimes people will sort of qualify themselves in their messages to me saying, Hey Rob, I did this, this, and this would love to meet. I actually could have used a little of that mm-hmm. because there were quite a few times where I, I met people and was invited home and the overlap wasn't so grand. I mean, we, we kind of got, got by, maybe sure. the language wasn't enough and there was kindness and sincerity and some laughs, but there were plenty of nights where there was no deep experience. Sure. And if if I had that mobile phone and could like zone, wow, this person's interesting. Right. Let me go there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, I know you've got like Couchsurfer now. I don't know if it's still going, but people told me about it. Yeah. Where you can book a place on somebody's couch right. in a foreign city and they're going to show you around. If I would have had that, Oh man, I, like I would have had five stars, and everybody would have wanted me to come to their place. Yeah, that would have been a beautiful experience. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm really thinking about how I would like to like do my victory lap and and take it around the world, and and maybe I'm taking inspiration from your trip. Sure, uh, and I will use. Uh, all of the kindness that comes through this podcast where people reach out to me. Right. And so when I'm in Barcelona or Dublin or Jakarta or Nairobi, Montevideo, I will meet people who reached out to me and will clink glasses through this podcast. Yeah. So thank you because you, you really opened my eyes to what can be done and with all the technology. I'm such an old school person and I, I'm moving in the direction of the technology. But if I really threw myself into it, imagine. Mm-hmm. And so you were telling me in advance that you're thinking of going international now. Right. So what's that plan? So it's funny, and this is where kind of my spontaneity comes into it as well. I know I'll be in Philly for November and December. I have no idea what my life will look like after that. But right now, the current plan is to try to get to Great Britain. And I'm going to see if I can partner with a tourism board like Visit Britain to use, as I build my project and build an audience, use it as a tool for highlighting the people and places that I'm going to. So I just think it's interesting. Like I loved being in Philly and highlighting the people that make up that city. 
because you kind of get a feel for what that culture is. And I would love to go to like England and find someone that's not in a very touristy spot and capture the essence of their culture and kind of share that. So the goal is just to go abroad and meet people in different countries, different cities across the world, because eventually when I'm at 10,000 looking back on this project, I hope that I have seen it take me across the world and meet people in places that I had never expected. The interesting thing that's going to happen to you is since you're documenting this in detail is what happens when you go to places where you don't speak the language. Right. How would you handle that? I have no idea. I think... This is going to get addictive, I'm telling you. You're going to go out and you're going to start meeting all new people Mm -hmm. and they may start passing you around. And I guess in this day and age, English is, is spoken just about everywhere. You can always find somebody. Right. But it it is one of my goals to spend enough time in like a Spanish speaking nation where I can just struggle through conversation with people. And then by the end of my time there, be able to hold conversations with people. Will you ever use an interpreter? I I could see myself doing that in a place where I wouldn't be able to communicate with someone without one. You're going to get addicted. You're going to see, you're going to go abroad and it's just going to take you in a completely new space. Oh, yeah. Because your curiosity is going to be opened even further. It'd be interesting. Maybe we'll catch up a year from now. Yeah. Or we can do it by Skype or Zoom or something. Right. Uh, Because... I would like to see if you can hold on to that peanut butter and jelly sandwich or if you start to drift into meals with people Mm. uh, and have these conversations over three and four hour feasts. Right. Hard to know. I don't know what the world is now. I've been I've been at uh, raising kids now for you know the last quarter century sure and so i don't know what it's like out there yeah either do i when it gets to the abroad point and i mean logistically the project was a completely new experience here in los angeles than it was in philadelphia and i know it will be the same when i go abroad as opposed to just being in the states and that's part of the fun for for me is like you figure out how to work with the project. The first time that I came here and met you, I parked in the Trader Joe's parking lot and I bought like a sandwich afterwards so I could have the discounted ticket rate. Right. This time, I know that there's free parking until 8 p.m., like five blocks away, and so I just parked there. I don't even know that. I I always have to go and get the discount. I know all the free parking spots in L.A. Just from having done it so much, and that was... When I first got here, I remember last summer in June, one of my first meetings was in downtown LA and I couldn't find parking anywhere. I parked in the garage in Pershing Square, I think. And I remember thinking to myself, there's no way that I'm going to be able to afford to do this project in LA because I can't afford to pay $10 a day for parking. And then just over time, it's like, all right, well, I know if I'm meeting someone at this coffee shop, I can park two blocks away at this spot and then just walk there. 
And now for every place that I go and I have kind of a routine of coffee shops that I rotate through, I know where I can park and do it for free, but it was all learning experience. Do you, do you drink a coffee with everybody that you meet? No, I drink. You, you don't drink anything? Maybe one cup of coffee a day. I would love to, but it's still at the point where I just can't afford to do that. So a lot of times what happens is I'll go to a coffee shop. The person I'm meeting with, they for them to grab a coffee, it's like that's what they're there for anyway. So they're usually grabbing a coffee. A lot of times people will offer to buy me a cup of coffee. Sometimes I'll take them up on it. Sometimes I'll just stick with water, but usually I'm having water and hopefully bringing enough business to those shops just by having other people get drinks and then posting about it afterwards. Man, I, I can't wait to hear what happens when you go abroad. Mm-hmm. But the great thing that you've done is you've built this up so that you have a good feeling and a confidence. Right. And you know, the interesting thing to me is going to, if, like if you go to London, it's so expensive there compared to like when I was traveling, I knew if I was going to Peru, right? it wasn't gonna cost that. You could stay in Peru for a long time with American dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're going to places where it costs a lot to live. Potentially, yeah. I mean, if, if the tourism board of Peru reached out to me tomorrow and said, come here in January, I would go there instead. You hear that, Peru? Yeah, or any country in the world, you know? Okay, we're going to leave that as an open invitation to any tourism bureau around the world. Rob will come to you. Yes. How do they, how do they reach you? Shoot me an email at robs10kfriends at gmail.com or shoot me a direct message on Instagram at robs10kfriends. And we can see all of the 2,000 people that you've interviewed, including me. Right. Every, everyone that I've met with is on there with a picture and then a story blurb about who they are, what I learned from them, and then just a little blurb about how we met. Well, we're going to leave with me saying how grateful I am to you because you've really made me think about how I'm going to go out into the world and, and do my victory lap. And you've given me a curiosity to look into all these technological advantages mm-hmm. that I might have. Right. And I am going to take advantage of it. And I really look forward to seeing how much everything has really changed or has it? Are people just people? Yeah. And it's fun. I'm glad that you did what you did because it gives us the ability to relate to each other and kind of swap stories back and forth. And it's like, you did, we did, we're doing the same thing. You did it in your way. I'm doing it in my way. But at the end of the day, we can still sit here and talk about this girl that I met or that girl that you met and how that affected us. Exactly. And I think that that is the essence to travel. Mm-hmm. And it probably was like that 2,000 years ago and will be like that until we turn into biomechanoids or wherever right. we're going. 
And that's, that's the beautiful thing about travel. And the great thing about this conversation for me is I think anybody who hears it and who's been wondering, how can I do this? Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't have to follow your example. Right. They don't have to follow my example, but they can figure out their own way right. to explore. Maybe I used magazines to write stories, to make money, to keep the trip going. You have partners, mm-hmm. uh, tech partners, and maybe, who knows, Tourism Board of Peru may be your next partner. Right. Everybody can find their own way. It's doable. You just got to want to do it. Right. Or maybe you either got to get laid off or your, your company that you work for has got to go out of business and it's got to put you in a position to say, hey, yeah, why not? And I think this goes for anything, but you start and you learn how to do it. No one knows how to do it exactly right, right off the bat. You take that trip abroad and you realize you don't want to come back. And you realize that if you strike up a conversation with someone, you may be able to stay at their place that night. And you, it's almost like these gifts that you pick up along the way. And then as soon as you pick it up, you know how to use that for the next time. That's exactly the case. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be really interested and intrigued to see you at 37 after you've met your 10,000th person. Right. So we'll make a deal. Yeah. After 10,000. Well, well, we're going to talk before then. Yeah, we'll do it along the way. But definitely, that's 10 years from now. Mm-hmm. Wow. Who knows where my life's going to take me at that point. Yeah. But it's going to be a fascinating conversation then because this is pretty good. That about wraps it up. I want to thank Tim Ferriss, as always, for nudging me to start this podcast. Also, Luz Fleming for his engineering chops. Jonathan Santiago for bringing Rob Lawless and I together. And Chris and Kim Bartell for sending me photos of where they listen to Big Questions. Ambro National Park in Bolivia. These photos make me so happy. So if you're up to it, please go to calfussman.com and send me photos of where you listen to Big Questions. I hope I can come by and clink glasses with you when I'm passing through to speak. You never know what'll come out of it. As Steinbeck wrote, people don't take trips. Trips take people. People.